0: means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is June Axup, the Scientific Director of Indie Bio. June, how are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. So, you know, I see from the website, from a little bit of research, uh, the world's largest Seed Biotech Accelerator. So, tell me about um, you know about Indie Bio. What do you guys do?
2: Yeah, um, that's exactly it. We're the largest startup accelerator for life sciences. We're located in San Francisco, and we've been around three years and have funded 81 companies in all areas of biotech. Uh, so, what we do wow. is it's a four-month program. Uh, we help. We give 250k in funding, uh, full access to a molecular biology and cell culture lab mentorship, and introduction to investors. And the entire goal is at the end of these four months is so that these companies can de-risk their science and their business so that they can be attractive to follow on investment. Uh, and we conclude with a big demo day and um, IndieBio is very much a, a network what, that supports each other in, in, in turning scientists into entrepreneurs.
1: So where did this idea come from? You know, Maybe what's your background and, and how did you, uh, how did this idea culture, and multiply in your mind, in the Petri dish of your mind?
2: Um, So I guess my background, um, I have a Ph.D. in chemical biology and um, immuno-oncology from Scripps Research Institute in San Diego. And I've worked in various different startups and um, from immuno-oncology to CRISPR lab automation and also precision medicine. And um, eventually moving out of the lab, I wanted to really help the innovation space. Um, and especially looking at the intersection of biology and other types of technologies. And so I've been very passionate about increasing human health span, but not just longevity, but maximizing the number of healthy years um, we can have. And so that, all of that is going to be tied up in new innovations and technologies within biology. So with IndieBio, um, one of the reasons we were created was really seeing several different trends happening in the space. Uh, the first okay. of which is uh, lovingly called the post-docalypse, uh, because there are a lot and, and an excess of very talented biology PhDs and postdocs, but with very few academic job openings. And so with mm. this excess of talent, um, there needs to be different means of directing th- these talented people into doing more innovations in biology. And then other two other big trends that we've seen recently is that biology is getting cheaper and it's getting much faster. So, with the advent of bioinformatics and, and all the advances in next generation sequencing and CRISPR, we're able to do experiments much, much faster, much, much cheaper, and thereby making biology research more accessible as well. So, kind of all these three, these three factors um, pulled together uh, really allowed scientists to be at this at now in this era to start building with. Biology, not just look at biology from a re, as a research project and understanding biology, but now we're able to have we have the tools in order to start engineering and designing projects with biology.
1: So, what are some of the uh, coolest, to you, you know, in your opinion, uh, startups that you've helped work on recently?
2: Yeah, um, so I would say our most famous company at the moment is uh, Meats. Meat. Uh, they are lab-grown meat company. So. The goal of which is to cut animals out of the supply chain, to get the factory farming uh, to make it sustainable for a population that is growing in uh, the desire for meat consumption, and also making sure that there's less antibiotics and contamination in our food supply as well. So, Mensis Meats, um, what they're doing essentially is taking stem cells from, from various animals and growing them in petri dishes and in larger bioreactors. And using that meat um, as, as food, um, and so they've successfully done this for pork, beef, uh, chicken, and duck so far. Um, and huh. they have re- recently raised a Series A of $17 million. That's backed by uh, Richard Branson and Bill Gates uh, and Cardale. So um, it, there's a lot of interest and traction to see uh, the change in the, our in our food supply.
1: When you say they've done this successfully, does that mean they've grown like a whole you know, eight-ounce steak, and have people eaten it? At what point have they gotten to?
2: Yeah. So right now, it's still extremely expensive um, due to the technologies currently being used. Uh, but they have already, in the few years that they've been in existence, has really drastically brought down that price. So it's not ready for prime time yet. You, you don't see it in shelves yet. Uh, but they have made uh, decent chunks of these different meats at the moment. Um, they, they have a multi journal article that, that features um, what they have um, been able to make so far. But hopefully within the next couple of years, we will see this uh, in shelves, uh, actually probably first in high-end restaurants, and then eventually when the cost price point is low enough, um, hopefully in grocery stores as well.
1: Have you eaten one?
2: I personally have, yes. I tried their duck uh, as like a duck confit, and it, it, it was very good.
1: It was good? You could. Could you tell that it was uh grown or, or what
2: um it, it, it was i mean it was difficult to I would say at the at the moment um, it, it's a little bit spongy uh it was also the duck dish I had was actually a duck confit, so it's kind of meant to be a little bit like cold duck anyway, uh, but it is way better than any kind of soy duck substitute that I've had before um so so one of the challenges too is while the cells you can you can grow them um the next level of that is actually for tissue engineering how do you build in muscle how do you build in different types of you know fats and fold, fold different things into the meat to give it the full texture uh so, so that you know, those technologies are also ongoing as well and hopefully in the Crazy. near future uh, it will become more identical to normal meat
1: well i would think they're going to try to make combinations in the meat like a splork or like a bork you know like a beef pork or I bet you that that's like on the horizon they're gonna make mixtures of stuff, you know
2: yeah that's that's definitely possible, um but I think in the in the beginning a um a lot of it will be replacing a lot of what people are familiar with, but of course, the high end or um trying kind of new types of meat might might be interesting as well,
1: so yeah, you know, and people can cook the stuff that they've grown and then serve it to people so far, even though it's expensive
2: um uh, so so at the moment, it's not being sold yet,
1: right but I mean in the you know in the testing environment. Mm-hmm. They've grown stuff. They've cooked it up, and then people have eaten it, like you, and they were okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, it's perfectly safe. And actually, in, in some cases, it might even be healthier because of the lack of antibiotics and and lack of contamination that often comes yeah. with our current supply of
1: meat. Oh, huh. Interesting. Is Memphis meats like Memphis, Tennessee? Yes. Okay. Any Any uh, maybe so, a couple sorry. other projects that you think are really cool?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, another one. Uh, is called Kanaku. And they are making biological computer chips. And so literally what they are doing is they're taking neurons and patterning them onto a computer chip. And so when the neuron fires to some kind of stimuli, you can capture that as a digital signal immediately. Um, So the application of this, actually the most sophisticated application would be be an artificial nose. So you can imagine maybe a a nose, are a bunch of neurons patterned with different receptors, and they respond to um, various chemicals, such as for the application of bomb sniffing in airports or in military applications. And why you might want to do this is because both the biological signal actually is, is much, much faster and much, much more sensitive than other types of detection that we, we can um, currently do, and that signal will immediately get transferred into a digital signal and, and, and broadcast elsewhere. Uh, but you can imagine in the future, not just with nodes, but you could use these biological chips for our everyday kinds of computation, uh, since our our neurons and our neural networks are still currently more sophisticated than any computer that we have out there.
1: I guess as it scales, then it it should surpass current computation. Maybe not in its current form, but maybe uh, you know later on when it scales and grows, like like quantum computing. You know, if it's mm-hmm. one qubit, so what but if it gets to be 300 or 500 qubits, then it really takes on a life of its own and it vastly exceeds what we have now. Yeah. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay. Um, You know, maybe one one more example of a really cool company that you've worked with?
2: Yeah, Um, right, another example of a company called Catalog Technologies, uh, and they are storing data in DNA. And why you might want to do this is because DNA is actually the most dense form of data storage known to man Uh, it is a million times more dense than flash Uh, and i think by some calculations we can store up 215 petabytes into one gram of dna so the the density is extremely high yeah Um, but we also know dna has amazing properties if you freeze it um and dry it uh, and keep it in like liquid nitrogen or or minus 80 conditions uh, you can probably store it infinitely um, for one, we know that there was a 700,000-year-old horse uh, frozen in permafrost, and that DNA was able to be recovered, so we know that DNA will be extremely, extremely robust. Um, additionally, DNA can be copied very easily because we have technologies such as polymerase chain reaction where you can very rapidly, in the matter of a couple hours, uh, replicate millions and billions of copies of DNA. Uh, so, so. If we were to make copies of of data, that would also be a very easy application. And so this is in comparison to what we currently do, which is um, make these big data storage facilities and put our data on magnetic tape. Magnetic tape only lasts about 20 years, so you have to constantly be copying the data. Uh, And because we're pumping out so many petabytes of data Nowadays, that all this data needs to be stored somewhere, and we're just going to see more and more data come about. Um, So, so catalog and and other companies in the space are really looking towards the future of how do we manage and store all this data that we're going to have.
1: Any um any aspects of bioscience that you're not seeing initiatives in that you really would like to, or is it uh, you know maybe it's too difficult a problem or you know, or the I guess the other side of that question is what initiatives do you see coming that you haven't worked on yet as an accelerator, but that you're you're excited to see coming?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, one aspect of what we do is we're really expanding what biotech originally was thought of as. Um, so I think if you think of biotech today, a lot of people would say, oh, it's therapeutics and diagnostics. Um, with IndieBio, we... Because seeing biology as a core technology that can be applied to all sectors of society, we've already seen an expansion in the areas that biotechnology can touch. So um, so we, we currently have uh, eight verticals. So we have therapeutics, we have um, medical devices, uh, but then that also goes into you know, future food and agriculture. So that would include what Memphis Meats is trying to do. Uh, we have neural technology, we have um, biodata. We have consumer technology, such as cosmetics and um, lab-grown leathers. Uh, there's industrial biotech. Uh, and then another area that we just started getting more involved in is regenerative medicine so and cell um, therapies and, and kind of growing organs and tissue printing. So I think hmm. what I'm most excited about, too, is almost um, every class that we run, we have one or two companies that are in an area that we – did not think existed um, or, 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 is just, or carving out a new area. For example, we have a new company um, that is working with bees uh, where they have a molecule to boost the immune system of bees, uh, protecting them from one of the viruses that's called, causing colony collapse, but also protecting oh, okay. them from winter climates and allowing them to pollinate more efficiently and more often um, and thereby producing more fruit. Um, another company, for example, called Lingrove that is um, making synthetic wood. And it's a shapeable wood, kind of carbon, like a fiber resin composite uh, that has the look of wood. Um, and and top-end wood is mostly being depleted out of um, our world now because of deforestation. Um, so you can see all these new kinds of biomaterials and applications that we um, traditionally, we would have not thought as biotechnology, so it's, it's always a good surprise to us as well to see what entrepreneurs um, come up with, and we're excited about the space.
1: Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Well, what this—I would guess it's probably the same for any startup. But what what factors do you look for that tells you a startup has the potential to be successful, and which factors do you look at and say those are warning signs that you know the company may not get off the ground?
2: Yeah. I think we, by being an accelerator as well, um, we're also fortunate enough to uh, try different things. So we do try different areas um, of of biotech, and I think we also are essentially a training program for entrepreneurs, um, specifically for scientists into becoming entrepreneurs. So by doing so, oftentimes we do take more risks than maybe the traditional VC investor, who have a certain type of entrepreneurial profile that they're looking for in their founders. Um, And and so so we end up putting a lot of training into our scientists and trying to get them um, more entrepreneurial. Um, So our fundamental, what we're looking for is of course, there needs to be some kind of technical um, innovation, technical insight that the founders have. And oftentimes this comes with a lot of expertise or, or just a, a lot of training in a specific field and observation. Um, from that technical insight, how can they build a product out of it? And then from that product, how can they turn that into a sustainable business model? And then as a VC as well, you know, we're really looking for solving big problems. So oftentimes we say we're looking for problems that either can touch a billion people or generate a billion dollars. Um, so, so those are kind of the four criteria that we have. Um, of course, there is a lot of um, looking at the founders themselves, um, You know their personalities, um, especially uh, as a team, having kind of the hustler and the scientist tends to be a great profile, uh, one to focus on the business, one to focus on the product and the science. Um, right. So, yeah, so, so there's, a, there's definitely a huge mix of, of different things that we, we look at.
1: Interesting. What do you think is going to be changing or happening with uh, you as an accelerator over the next year keep getting more great companies or is there going to be any fundamental shift or, or change in how you're doing things
2: yeah definitely i think um we've been around for three years and one thing that we say is the it itself is a startup uh, we came up with this business model um that it, it, it was a experiment in essence and uh um, Every batch that we've had, we've been able to learn from our previous batches and improve our program as well. So we would definitely continue to do that. So I think we, in the last few years, we've been able to show that um, we've had some successes and uh, and that there is value in what we do. And a lot of what we're doing in the next year is really robustizing a lot of our processes and really understand. Um, what we are doing and how to scale it, and and potentially um, try to scale this across um, other areas um, of the country or in the world potentially. Um, so, so yeah, that, that that is definitely what we're kind of focused on this next year.
1: What are um, I know I'm sure it's different for every deal, but what what's like the basic parameters? You know, I, I, let's say I run a startup and I come to you and I say, accelerate me. You know, what uh, what's involved generically? You take yeah, an equity so, stake. You know what was the parameter?
2: Yeah. So we do take equity. Um, we take about fifteen percent of the company, and for that, we give two hundred fifty k in funding. Um, it's a four month program that includes a bunch of both formal and informal mentorship interactions, um, a access to our network of, of mentors as well as investors, and throughout the program, there's a, there's a lot of structure around um, pushing people to to make decisions, and to progress in their companies. Um, so, so that's a lot of what our staff um, guides the companies through every single day. And by having access to our lab on site as well, they're able to improve their product while doing their business development. Um, and, and the two have to go hand in hand uh, because once you when you talk to customers and get feedback from customers, that's when you know how to pivot your product to really match what the, what the customer wants. Um, so, so it's a lot of iteration um, because we are, as an accelerator, we invest in the earliest stage. Um, usually we're the first money in um, and consider a pre-seed stage. Uh, you know, a lot of that customer discovery and product market fit hasn't been finalized yet for these companies. So so that is a lot of what we do it, is by the end, we want them to, to understand what problem they're solving, who's going to buy their product, um, Show that their product or the science is working uh, at least to a certain level, and then um, and, and hopefully and, and also hopefully get some traction around that by getting LOIs and getting customers on board.
1: Um, what about uh, FDA approval of a given company's product? Is that like the golden standard for a lot of these companies, or are there like uh, are there hurdles that most of them will face that are common to them? You know, big big hurdles that either take a lot of money a lot of regulatory approval or some, I don't know, to get their products out in the mainstream?
2: Yes. The FDA regulation is definitely um, one of the biggest hurdles in, in biotech. Uh, and, you know, for all these companies, they are at a very early stage, but we do try to get them FDA consultants early to talk about what their pipeline might look like. Uh, for for some of these companies, the the FDA approval process might be somewhat straightforward because there's precedence in the field already. For others, they might be setting a new precedent as well. So, and as the landscape changes, and as you know, more and more companies in these different spaces arise, um, the FDA is actually um, very focused on innovation, and so they they are very accommodating of, of new technologies, such as um, you know, digital therapeutics uh, is an area that that more recently uh, there's been more formalized FDA guidelines around um, regenerative medicine. Uh, FDA has also put out new guidelines around. So it's it's definitely something um, something that the companies will all have to face. Um, it's definitely a dynamic. Uh, it's a little bit of a dynamic goal that they're also looking at, um, but hopefully it will all be in the company's favor too because the FDA is also very interested in seeing these new therapies and new developments uh, hit the market as well.
1: Yeah, I've heard like Japan has a fast-track program for certain kind of approvals perhaps for regenerative medicine. So hopefully maybe the same kind of thing would be happening in the United States as well. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And our companies come from all over the world. Um, so we've, we've had some companies that actually focus on a Southeast Asia market. This particular company uh, worked in antivenoms for snake bites. So obviously Southeast Asia would be a much better market to go after than the U.S. too. So depending on what what kind of problem they're solving uh exactly going to different nations uh to do to do their update approvals and testing um can make a lot of sense
1: okay very good uh just last last question or two what's the best way for interested companies to find out more uh, about your accelerator and uh, you know apply and get involved with your environment
2: yeah um check our website website uh, co. Uh, and that will have more information about us. We're taking applications year round. Uh, applications are already open for our uh, summer batch already. And um, yeah, we'll just kind of start having a conversation and love to hear what everyone is working on.
1: Well, Very good, June. Thank you for taking the time. And you get to work on all the fun stuff, it sounds like. So it sounds great.
0: Thank you so much. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018.